new. New. We have been in this series. I believe this will be the ninth week. This will be the last week in the series. Two weeks ago, I preached on the first part of Psalms 84, and I promised you the second part. And I could not be more excited to be here with you today to explore what the psalmist has to say in Psalm 84. If you're visiting with us today, we've been in a series called New, and the idea was this. The idea was that possibly we would be brave enough in our own life, in our own heart, to go outside of our normal thinking of who God is to us, whether it be how we've been taught in church, whether it be how we viewed it from a world standpoint. But knowing God now as a a child of God and wondering, Lord, would, would you want to do something new in my life? Would you want to do, and the answer to that is yes. God is a God of new. He's always wanting to do something new. He never, he never desires that your relationship with him be boring. He never desires that your relationship with him would go an entire day without communication. He never desires. So he's always wanting to be in that back and forth communication mode of, hey, Jason, what about this area of your life? I could really do something new in this area if you would let me. About three or four weeks ago, I was in the Keys with my, my family. We took four or five days to be down there. And I was getting, I got up in the morning, I was reading my Bible, and I got, got done reading, and I was reading another book by Keller and, and put that down. and just felt like it wasn't a morning to read. It was a morning to listen. And I'm sitting there, and the, the sun's just come up. And anybody, any of you have ever taken your whole entire family that now insists, uh, consists of grandkids on vacation? If you want any alone time, you get up. Like, seriously, you crawl out of bed. Like, you, you get up. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and God drops these two words in my heart. Two words. Longing and driven. Longing and driven. And you may be sitting there today going, oh, how cool is that, that, that to be a pastor where God can drop words in your heart? No, that's for all of us. Uh, if you're Christ, but God can drop words in your heart at any moment. Um, and so, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, what does that mean? And, I, and I'm, what God, or like, am I? And so I processed that throughout the day, and then I was, I was laying my head on the, the pillow that night. I, I, I heard the Lord speak to me and, and just say, Jason, what you long for is going to drive you. Your longing drives you. Doesn't that make sense? I love when God talks on my level because I'm not very educated. Some of you are educated beyond your intelligence. We'll, we'll all meet in the middle somewhere. No, I'm just kidding. So, so, um, so, the, so the idea, whatever you're longing for drives you. And sure enough, next morning, I get up, go out to that same chair, open my Bible reading plan, which is on my phone, reading the Bible through in a year. And this is why it's so important to be on some kind of a devotional plan. If you are on a plan, God knows where you're going to land when he wants to speak something to you. How many of you, has that ever happened to any of you in this room? You're thinking about something and then that very day, isn't that awesome? And listen, God can't do that if you're not on some kind of a reading plan. Side note, read your Bible. So sure enough, man, next morning, Psalms 84, 
right there. And the psalmist begins to talk about how, how he longs to be in the presence of God and how he thirsts and how his heart and flesh cry out and how he can't do without the presence of God and how the presence of God is everything to him. And now that he's not able, I believe the psalmist was David. It's not said, but if you look at the DNA of the psalm and many of the others that David wrote, that would be the conclusion that I come to. And whatever conclusion you come to, it's not important. The important part is it's in the canon of scripture. God saw fit to put it in the Bible, so it's important. So, so here, here you have the psalmist talking about how the presence of God. And so the first installment of this was a new longing. And I'll end up the new series with a new longing. The second half of Psalms 84. But let's, let's read the whole psalm together. Um, psalms 84, 1 through 12. If you're new to the Bible, this would be one you can read. And you can say, hey, you know what? I read a whole chapter in the Bible today. And you're about to do that. Psalms 84, 1 through 12. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for my courts, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. That's where we left off two weeks ago. Let's pick it up. Verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Oh boy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, it's living, and it's active. God, I pray that we would, we would get out of the way today so you can get in our way. Lord, let your word be so, so alive and so pointed to our hearts that it changes our hearts today. God, remind us that we, we should live every day of our life with a longing to be with you. Father, I pray that you would help me do a good job of relating that today as your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go. We'll go from verses 8 to 12. But number one, if you're taking notes, number one. We need to have a longing to realize our need, a longing to realize my need for the greatness of God. So we just read it. We'll read both scriptures again and come back to the point. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Verse 9. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. You go back to the point. A longing to realize my need for the greatness of God. And so we go through verses 1 through 7, and we're coming through those in somewhat of a style of of worship, and we're going from strength to strength, even though we go through the valley of Baca, which means sorrow, pain, hard times, trials, 
And then we come to a place where we're gonna come face to face with you, God. And the psalmist here is, is talking about the, the idea of worship and the idea of the temple and the idea of the temple courts. Now, remember, whenever we read the Old Testament, we read it through a New Testament lens. So when the psalmist is talking about the temple and the temple courts, he's talking about the presence of God. We know as Jesus came and died for us that we now have the presence of God that has indwelled us. That's the Holy Spirit. And so you read the Old Testament through a New Testament lens, and as the psalmist talks about the temple, he's talking about the presence of God. That's how this is applicable to our everyday lives. So you go through 1 through 7, and then you get to verse 8, and there's a prayer that's going up. Oh, hear my prayer. Oh, God, hear those first seven verses. Oh, God, hear my prayer and give ear. There's a desperation in that. There's a desperation and I long to be in your presence so much that God, I'm asking for your attention right now. I'm asking you to listen to me. I'm asking you no matter how, and you know, a lot of times we feel small, don't we? And we feel like we're bothering God with our prayers. You ever felt that way? I heard one guy tell me one time, it's not just one guy, I've heard this many times, but this one guy sticks in my brain. Yeah, you know, I don't pray much. I like to save them up for where I really need to talk to God. I'm like, buddy, come here. Let, let's talk for a second. So, so, so hear my prayer, give ear. And so there's, a, there's an exclamation point in the spirit there. So then he goes in and he explores these definitions of this God that he's trying to get the attention of. And so, so, so you go back, oh, Lord God of hosts. Now, I was raised in church and I, I've heard tons of sermons and, and I had a, not too long ago, had a busy week and, and I, I was, my son asked me, it was my day off and he asked me, what you got going tomorrow, which is Saturday, which now has Saturday night. So I said, I got, I'm going to the church in the morning to work on a sermon. And I was just being fun with him. I said, unless you got one, you got one for me? And he said, oh, I got plenty. He said, they've been stuffed right in me my whole life. <laughs> anyway, that's not exactly what he said, but I figured that I would preach today instead of allowing him to. Anyway, so, so this idea, so I've been going to church my whole life, and I hear things like, Lord of hosts. And we hear that, maybe we just glaze over it. But when you preach and, you, and you're required by God to understand what you're actually saying, you got to research this stuff. And so when you go in, now this is the God that the psalmist is praying to. I don't want you to miss, miss this, the greatness, the greatness of God. Oh, Lord of hosts, what does that mean? That means the God of everything. That word host means every crawling, every breathing, every jumping, everything that has been created that we know and some that we may not even know, everything that's been created, that God, the God that flung the stars into heaven, the God who carpeted the fields with grass, the God who created you and I, the God who created the miracle of changing a heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, the God who created the waves that we surf, the God who created the fish that we catch, the God who created all that we know, that God, the God of the angelic powers, the God of the Lord of hosts. You can't miss that today. 
You can't miss that because you go through verse 1 through 7, and it's just awesome and hard thing to um, just worship. And now we're to this prayer, and the psalmist is reminding himself as well as God. God, you are the Lord of everything. But, oh, how important can we get, can't we? You ever live those days, if someone were to look at your thought patterns and your schedule, and they looked at your, your thought patterns, do you think sometimes, some days of your life, you become your own God? Yeah, let me answer that for you. Yes. Yes, we do. I got this. I can handle this. But the psalmist has been removed from the presence of God. He is torn in his heart because he can't be in the city of God where the temple of God, which represents the presence of God to him. And so now he's reminding himself of how great God is. Oh, Lord of hosts, hear my prayer and give ear. Oh, God of Jacob. What does he mean there? Oh, God of covenant. Oh, God of covenant with Abraham. Oh, God of covenant with Isaac. Oh, God of covenant with Jacob. He's saying, oh God, you are a God of covenant. Why is that important? We live in a world of contracts, don't we? If you've ever heard me do a marriage ceremony, you you would hear me say and talk about covenant versus contract. Every marriage ceremony I've ever done, I've, I've talked about this because we live in a contract society. And a contract says, if Anthony and I were to go into a contract, The contract would read something like this. Anthony has to do X, Y, Z. And if he does that, I will do A, B, C. But if Anthony neglects to do X, Y, Z, I am then released from doing A, B, C. Right? That's the kind of society we live in. So if you don't do what you said you were going to do, I don't have to do what I said I was going to do. And we even go as far as to teach our children that. Well, if they're playing dirty, you play dirty. Well, no, no. And aren't you glad you don't serve a contract God? And this is what the psalmist is saying. Oh, boy, we'd all be out of luck today if we served a contract God. If God said, Jason, if you keep my, if you do this, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this every day of your life, then I'm going to love you. I can tell you I'd be unloved by God. But we don't have a contract. I mean, we don't, we don't have a contract God. We have a covenant God. And the psalmist is saying, oh, God of Jacob, oh, God of covenant. So he's building a case here. Then you go to verse 9. Oh, God, behold our shield. So you go, you go from the Lord of everything into a Lord that is a covenant God into a God that protects us. So in this idea of a shield, were you guys here the week that I let people shoot at me with those guns, the air things? Okay, so just remember that. Remember that shield, those, those things that come in it, and that's our God. We'll talk a little bit more about his protection towards the end of the sermon. But, but behold your shield, behold your protection. And what the psalmist is saying is even though I can't be in your courts, even though I can't be in your temple, even though I can't be in the city of God, what I do know is no matter where I'm at, I'm going to behold your shield. I'm going to claim your protection over my life. And then this is awesome. Look up on the face of your anointed. 
And so, so this is another reason I think this psalm points to David writing it. But however, the, the point here is, is that even in Psalms 24, David talks about being anointed. And then all through the Psalms, we see David as a foreshadow of Christ. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. If you're, if you're a student of the Bible, you know this. If you're not, learn it. David's kind of like a foreshadow of Christ, some of the things in his life, in the lineage of Christ. And so here's a man after God's own heart and now praying, oh, Lord. And we know that David was anointed by Samuel. But it goes much deeper than that. He's a foreshadow of Christ. And so what the psalmist is saying right here is, look up on the face. He's prophesying. Look up on the face of your anointed. And what, that's a, what a prayer for us. Because when God sees you and I, he doesn't see us for who we are. He sees us for what Jesus has done on the cross so that we could be restored back to him. Now, you're, not, you're not getting this, either that or you didn't have your coffee. When, when on my worst day, this, this right here is an anytime, anybody, anywhere prayer. Oh God, look up on the face of your anointed. Let's take this. If we, let's say we had a mirror on stage today and, and, and the mirror was on a pedestal and I had an apple and that apple represent that apple in the garden of Eden. It represents sin. And I take that apple and I throw it at that mirror as hard as I can. And it busts the mirror and the pieces go all over the floor. I can spend hours, if not days, if not months, or maybe even years. I can get the smartest people that the Space Coast has to offer. Those people who sent us to the moon. I can get them here and I can say, hey, here we go. And we can put those pieces back together in a mirror. However, when I look at my reflection in that mirror, it's going to be distorted. It's going to be disproportional. It's not going to be the same as it was before it was broken. That's what sin did to humanity. It marred the image of humanity in the eyes of God because he's a holy God. He can't be around sin. Therefore, there had to be a sacrifice made. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross and said, it is finished. The veil was ripped. It was torn, gave us a way into the presence of God. And God said, now my humanity has been restored back to me. So when I look at Jason, I don't look at him in all of his dysfunction. I look at him through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Oh Lord, God of hope. God of everything, God of covenant, my protection. As I pray and as I need you, look up on the face of your anointed. God, please don't turn your face towards me because I know in my own right, I am no good. But look at Jesus. Look at me through Jesus. Look at me through Jesus. And that's what the psalmist is saying right there. All right, so we keep going. I think we get to, to, to point number two. Point number two. A new longing for his presence that exposes the emptiness of the world. Young people in this room right now, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this whole point. Matter of fact, middle-aged people, I want you to listen to this whole point. (laughs) Old people, I want you to listen to this whole point. Especially young people. A new longing for his presence that exposes the emptiness of the world. Psalms 84.10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. In other words, a day in your presence, O God, 
a true moment in your presence, a true day of worship, a true holy, sacred moment, a true moment of revelation of your greatness, a true day of nothing but bathing in your presence, a true day of me realizing how insignificant I really am and how significant you are, but how significant I am in your eyes because you have lavished your love on me. A true day in the courts of your presence, a true day is better than a thousand. Some translations would say a thousand days elsewhere, the King James and New King James says a thousand. In other words, the psalmist is saying a day, God, a day in your courts, a day in your presence is better than a thousand, a thousand days. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether it's sin or not sin. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. So we have to ask ourselves this question. We can say that, we can read that, but do we live that? Do we live the idea of, oh God, if I don't get in your presence today, I am going to wither up and die. Oh God. If I don't speak with you today, if I, if I don't feel your presence in my life, am I willing to cancel that appointment? Am I willing to put my agenda away? Am I willing to put things aside? Am I willing to give up eating lunch and going somewhere so I can make sure that I'm right with God? See, the psalmist is, is missing out. He's been pushed away from what the temple pushed away from the presence of God. And he's saying, oh, from his heart. He's already said, my, my heart and flesh, my soul cries out for you, God. He's already talked, he's already went to the extent, now he's praying, oh, and he's telling God, God, for, as a matter of fact, for, for one day in your courts is better than a thousand other days. See, when we truly experience the presence of God, It is not only the equalizer to the wickedness of this world, it is the trump card. It is when we truly understand the presence of God, it it, it draws us so close to God that it pulls us even further and further and further away from the world. Now watch this. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God We'll stop right there. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Remember Acts 3, 2, the beggar laid at the gate, beautiful, and Peter and John are on their way to the daily hour of prayer. You remember that miracle that happened? That word, that word right there is the same word, threshold. It's, called, it's the threshold of the temple. It's the threshold. It was a job of the least of these. It was that guy who got to say, yes, you can come in. No, you can't. You know, that, that guy. It, it, was, it was the one who, who, who was, you know, And so what the psalmist is saying is, I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be a nobody. I would rather never stand on a stage in my life. I would rather never be on TV. I would rather never anyone even know really who I am. I would rather any, no one ever really know what I do for God. I would rather the right hand not know what the left hand's doing. I would rather be that guy if I could be in the presence of God. Obed-Edom. Anybody ever heard of Obed-Edom? No, you hadn't. In the Bible several times, and, and I, I, Obed-Edom, and, and somebody was telling me, I, I've mentioned that before, and they said, you're not pronouncing that right. Well, it's spelled O-B-E-D-E-D-O-M. Now, I know my Tennessee gets in the way sometimes, but how else are you going to say that? <laughs> Obed-Edom. 
Anyway, so, so, and some of you look at me, why are you saying that right now? Listen to me. The ark, the ark of the covenant, which represented the presence of God. The ark is recaptured, but some weird things are happening around the ark. Like people are falling over and dying when they touch it. And, and people, I mean, some weird, and so, so the children of God cannot figure out what to do with the ark. So, so they come up with this plan. Let's just leave it outside of the enemy's territory at a house until we can figure out what to do with it. And guess whose house they left it at? Obed-Edom. <laughs> they left the ark at Obed-Edom's house. In other words, they left the presence, oh boy, they left the presence of God at Obed-Edom's house. For three months, the Bible says. If you go back over into Chronicles, where Chronicles is chronicling the happenings of what, what, what's going on up until that point and, and throughout the Old Testament, and you come to a point, and guess whose name is in that book? Obed-Edom. And guess what Obed-Edom is doing? He is serving in the house of God. He's mentioned, I think, four times. He's mentioned as a doorkeeper. He's mentioned, and I'm going to paraphrase this. He's mentioned as the guy who's cleaning the toilets. He's mentioned as the guy who is mopping the floors. He's mentioned as the guy who's keeping the altar clean. He's mentioned in all these different aspects. Why? Because Obed-Edom had the presence of God invade his home to a point that nothing else mattered in his life. He said, you can have it all. You can have everything I've worked for, everything. Nothing compares to the presence of God. So he takes off and he follows the ark and the ark lands at the temple, tent of the temple. And that's where we see Obed-Edom finish his life because the presence of God far outweighs anything this world can offer, even if it was gained by your own sweat Blood and tears, it's not yours, it's God's. And when you give it, it's so much easier to give it back when you've experienced the presence of God. Young people in this room, the wickedness of this world, the the commercials make it look good. I'm telling you what, you can't, the commercials make it look like you can't watch a football game without drinking beer. Right? Hey, I'm not going to get into beer. That's, that's, yeah, I, but, but what I'm saying is, is you, like, you are order a pizza. I mean, I'm watching a football game going, I need beer and pizza. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. And all the people dressed the way they're dressed in that commercial on the beach are not going to be in your backyard <laughs> if you get beer and pizza. Oh, the presence of God is not just an equalizer to the wickedness of the world, my friend. It far outweighs the goodness of anything that this world could offer. And the psalmist says, I would rather. Oh, I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather clean the toilets. I'd rather mop the floors. I would rather work the backside of the parking lot on a 95 degrees Saturday night service. I'd, it doesn't matter. Just put, I, I, would, I would rather be, I'd rather get up an hour early before work. I would rather stay up an hour late to be with my God. I would rather experience the presence of God in my life more than anything that this world has to offer. Oh, Obed-Edom. We gotta keep going. Next thing. Number three, a new longing to live a life that acknowledges God's favor. 
This is, this is so, so awesome. Just The Bible's so awesome. How, how much you can get just out of just a few, just a, a few things that the psalmist says. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Can you go back? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So let's walk through this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. We talked a little bit about protection. But now this prayer is coming from a psalmist who's been pushed out from the presence of God. How many of you would agree with me today that never agree with anything I say? Which amazes me because you keep coming back to disagree. (laughs) How many would you say we live in a dark, dangerous world? We live in a dark, dangerous time. We do. I mean, you, you can move in, you can gate yourself off, you can build walls around your house, you can try to co- corral your kids into certain schools or certain, and, and that's between you and God. But the fact of the matter is, this is a gnarly, gnarly world. Matter of fact, the Space Coast is a crazy, crazy place. Dark. We're at war. Not to over-spiritualize it, but we are in a spiritual war. And we are taking ground. And we do win. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So we live in a dark world. So what does sun do? Like I, I, I'm a hunter and so there are many days, there used to be a lot more. Now they grow fewer and fewer. I enjoy the ones I get. But there are days where I am in the outdoors in the dark. And by my own admission, I have many times forgotten a light. Or when my son was a teenager, he forgot his and claim mine as his and blame me for losing mine. But we won't go into that. The fact is, I would be in the dark with no light. And, and when you're hunting and you're amongst light, wild, wildlife, which I think, I call it the show when the sun begins to come up. I call it the show, God's show. And, and so when the sun begins to come up, things that you thought looked one way look totally different. So he's a God that gives direction. Now watch this. He's a God that gives direction, but not only direction, he gives protection. He's our shield. And then the Lord will give grace. You look over into Ephesians, which is that next verse, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now we go back to Psalms 811. The Lord will give grace. This whole thing is about Jesus Christ. The Lord will give grace and glory. What is grace? Grace is glory that has begun. Watch this. Grace is glory that has begun. Because when we receive the grace of God through the person of Jesus, we're birthed into a new creation. And the glory of God begins to be formed in the people of God. For we don't know him in full yet, but one day we will. We know in half now, we'll know in full one day. And so glory is grace that has begun. As I receive the grace of God, my journey starts, and I'm on a journey to become more and more and more like Jesus in my everyday life. Then he goes into no good thing will he withhold those who walk uprightly. That right there to me goes back to the submission part of the sovereignty of God. Because all of us in this room have prayed prayers and we would say, God, 
in the natural, that's a good thing. Why didn't you give that to me? That was a good thing. Why didn't you heal that person? That was a good thing. Well, we remember where we land on. His ways are higher than our ways. And so if we're submitting to the sovereignty of God, then we're submitting to his will for our life, and the steps of the righteous shall be ordered by God. So what we, what we may see as good here in the, in the now may not be good for the future. And so as you submit to the sovereignty of God, when you say no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly, it's not saying if you're perfect, you're going to get whatever you want. It's saying that if you're filled with the spirit of God, you will complete his purpose on this world. And it may not be fun sometimes. Wow. Those who walk, how do we walk uprightly? We walk uprightly at salvation. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Bible says, when we're saved, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How many of you have those little yard ornaments at Christmas that you plug in and they blow up? You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? I only got a few minutes. And I want to make them count, so I'm going to talk about Christmas ornaments. But they're all crumbled up like this, right? Because you unplug them at night. But when you plug them in, what do they do? They're like... One of the most amazing miracles and things that I love about my job is seeing Jesus Christ come into somebody's life where they used to walk with their head down and they used to walk with their shoulders slumped over and they used to live in shame and they used to medicate that shame and Jesus comes in and he changes their life and then through the via the Holy Spirit, they begin to walk. I'm telling you, it's physical. They begin to walk upright. They begin to look you in the eye. They're not ashamed anymore. They begin to be discipled and they understand that Jesus loved them just like he loved the person down the road or the person sitting next to them. No good thing will God withhold for those who walk uprightly for his children of God can only walk uprightly through the Holy Spirit. We have to submit to the sovereignty of God and understand what we think may be good at the time may not be good at the time. It's a trust factor. It's a trust factor. Is he, is he God or is he not? Now, so if you're serving communion, you can be dismissed right now. So you think about this. Oh, he, he gives direction. He gives protection. He gives grace. He gives glory. He, he, he gives good things. And he gives us the ability to walk uprightly through, through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, which comes through salvation. Which brings us to the last point, number four. A new longing to be able to trust. Now think about this just for a second. Think about this. Psalms 84, 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Out of all the knowledge and out of all the meat that's in Psalms 84 and all the goodness and all the just bear hugs from God and all the challenges, that's what the word of God does. Out of all of that coming together, we end with the psalmist saying, O Lord, back to O Lord of everything. Everything. O Lord of everything. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. So I, can you go back to the point, Kendall? Blessed is the man who trusts in you. My wife and I were ministering at something not long ago, and she, she was talking for a moment, and she said, she said these words. She said, you know, 
When God asks me to give up something or do something, I've got a million questions for God. Actually, she says a a gazillion. I still do not know how many that is. She says a lot. She was like, I can't, can I do this? I can't do this. Can I afford to do that? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I? Oh God, but you know me. Oh God, God, God. And isn't that how we are? We have just, and God's good with that because He's the good Father. But you know what? When it all boils down, He only has one question for us. Just one. Every time with Jason, He's got one question. Jason, do you trust me? In other words, am I your God? You trust me. And that's how the psalmist ends, Psalmist 84. Blessed is the Lord of everything that I know. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Exclamation point. Salvation's a trust issue. We're about to have communion. We have an open communion here. We just go by biblical standards, one of which is you need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That is a trust issue. So here's the thing. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you turned your life over to Him? Could you please stop moving around? I hate when you do that. This time, this is one of the most important, let me pastor you for a second. This is one of the most important times, if not the most important time in the entire service. And when I say we're about to be served communion or I start talking about this, you guys are like. want a nice pastor, go to another church. If you want an honest pastor, stay here. Stop doing that. Drives me crazy. And I'm sure it doesn't help the person beside you who needs to accept Jesus. Okay. Maybe you're here and you'd say, my life's a wreck. I have lost the ability to trust because I've been hurt so much. Could I just say to you, I I was there at one point in my life, and many of us in this room were there, but we thought, you know what, one more time, I'm going to trust, and I'm going to trust in God. And when you put your trust in God, He does not disappoint. He comes through every time. Do you need Jesus in your life? Because He is the X factor to change. He can change your life today. You can walk out of here a new creation. Would you bow your heads all over this place? say, Jason, that's me. That's me, and right now I'm realizing I need Jesus in my life. I need him in my life. I need to trust him. I need to trust again. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Would you slip your hand up? I see your hand. You can just put it right back down. I see your hand. Put it right back down. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. It's awesome. So I need to trust. I need that in my life today. Listen, if you raised your hand, praise God. Some of you that raised your hand, I can tell you came alone to church today. Don't be deterred from coming to this table and getting a Bible and a devotion, talking to somebody or the ten outside. We want to help you on your journey. But most importantly, pray with me right now before we're served communion. Pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for finding me. And right now I'm confessing in my heart that I believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. I believe he took my death and sin on the cross. I believe they placed him in a grave. I believe he rose from that grave on the third day. And I believe he's coming back for me one day. And so right now, God, I'm giving you my heart. Fill that void in my life 
with your love and your grace and your mercy. Give me the boldness to get a Bible and a devotion. In Jesus' name.